Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey, welcome everybody to Light the Fight Podcast. I am David. And unfortunately, or fortunately for some of you, I don't have anything just silly or somewhat comical or just stupid to say to start off the podcast. Um, but in my defense, it's because um, I've been really under the weather the past few weeks. Um, I don't want to get into it. I can you know, tell you guys that it's not COVID. It's not COVID related. Um, has to do with uh, my brain, my nervous system, and uh, trying to get it figured out. So as of right now, I don't have all the answers, but I've been out of work for the past couple of weeks. So this is my first chance in the past couple of weeks um, that I've been able to talk about feelings and personal relationships and all the things that I usually talk about. So um, I don't know how long I'm going to last. <clears throat> I'm choking on my words already. I don't know how long I'm going to last. Um, I apologize ahead of time. If I say something and more than usual, it doesn't make sense. It's because legitimately my, my brain is my problem right now. I'm having a lot of problems and I've had problems uh, throughout my whole entire life with brain issues, mostly stemming from head traumas, concussions. Uh, I was in a coma for almost two days um, in my twenties and I've had about a lot of other stuff. Um, speech impediments because of brain problems. So this is nothing new for me. It just hasn't been an issue for me in quite some time. So I'm just just trying to figure it out. So if I sound really extra, not professional and smart, let's just put it on that. <laughs> um, but today's podcast, uh, I'm actually, I wish I had more energy to talk in more depth about this, but um, to help me out today, um, I'm having someone join me. Um, that is also aware of the topic and what the topic is that I, in fact, I was very anxious to talk about this today, really anxious because what I'm about to talk to you about is something that um, many of you may not have even heard about yet. And what it is, is there's a documentary that was uh, just released on Netflix last week and it's called The Social Dilemma. Um, I'm glad it's starting to trend up on the top 10 and um, Netflix. It's actually at number four as of tonight. Um, I'm hoping it will be at number one. I know a lot of uh, attention is being put on the the Cuties documentary, and um, I haven't had a chance to watch that documentary. So maybe we'll do another episode on that because it sounds like that one's pretty controversial. But since I've been so under the weather, this is the only thing I've really um, pulled my head out of the the bed uh, pillows <laughs> to take a look at. Um, so. Social, the social dilemma. Um, to to help me talk about this today, um, not just because I'm not feeling well, but also because uh, I really value his insight and, and his opinion on this. And we had a conversation early today about this documentary. Is uh, our producer Brandon, and he's a um, a fill in sometimes if Heidi's not here or if I'm not here. And so, just wanted to welcome Brandon to the podcast. Brandon, what's up, man? 
What's up, man? I appreciate the intro. So back to back weeks being on the podcast. So I appreciate it coming back from yeah. the, behind the wheels of steel. Yeah, you know, it's uh it's 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 good to have someone uh someone on deck that we can just call up and say, Hey, um, especially someone like you that's been around me and Heidi for so long and you know, you've been around me for so many years that you you know I think and kind of see where I'm coming from. And also too, you're just young enough to now be closer to this next generation. In fact, weren't you born on the first year of the Gen Z, iGen, Zoomers, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, 96. I'm in the like the last millennial start of the iGen. Yeah, so the 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 big brains out there in psychology that do all the research stuff, they they've pretty much na- labeled it or pretty much nailed it down to be in 1996 is when uh, Gen Z started or iGen or Zoomers, as I like to call them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, he was the, the first year. So in, in, in his situation, he got the very beginning of it. And he's also seeing it with his younger siblings. And he's, you know, he's helping me out at the local high school and, you know, and he's seen it with the students. So, um, Glad to have you on, Brandon, to to weigh in um, just you know about this documentary and why it's so important for people to watch this right now. And trust me, guys, Netflix is not paying me anything to talk about this documentary. Um, a good friend of mine, well, I shouldn't say a good friend of mine, old neighbor of mine, who is a friend of mine though. He actually works for Netflix, so maybe I can call him up and see if they can get me like you know like like you know an extra premiere package or something for mentioning it to them but i don't think they need uh to, to advertise on, on our platform to get the word out there that they exist and before we start getting into this topic about something that is really oh man it's really got me excited um i want to give a big shout out to our sponsors 1-800 contacts um i've not been feeling well and they are so kind that <laughs> they sent my so you can tell that there's some good mothers working there because they sent me some some meals and a big blanket because they know if if I'm not doing well and my wife's got to be you know taking care of me all the time then not a lot of great meals going to be cooked so um, thank you very much 1-800 Contacts for practicing what you preach you know not only just sponsoring our podcast but the good people of there are taking good care of me that I'm not feeling well so thank you very much for that. Really appreciate you very much because, as I would say, we wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. So, but The Social Dilemma is the name of the documentary. And um, if you want to go and, you know, pause this and go watch it, great, and come back and listen to the podcast. But, you know, like I said, I just want to do a short podcast just to kind of give you some of my thoughts and and the reasons why I think it's so important that this uh documentary came out right now and why it's so important for every single one of you out there. If you're a parent, if you're an uncle, if you're an aunt, if you're listening to this podcast to just curious about what's going on with young people out there, or you have a friend or loved one that has young kids, you want to get some information for them. Um, then listen up because this is, uh, let, let me put, put it this way. I am very biased because, you know, I talk about relationships and social issues all the time, but this is the best documentary I've ever, I've ever seen. I mean, hands down it. And here's why I know it was so good. And uh, I want you to weigh in on this in a second, Brandon, um, after I kind of frame it for everybody, it made me really uncomfortable to watch it really uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm, I'm a gen X I'm old school. I'm, (laughs) you know, baggy pants, you know, 
DC shoes, skateboarding, you know, just chilling. Remember Jabot jeans? Any of you guys out there? Jabot jeans. Um, gosh, I can go on on. The Chess King was the store back in high school, along with all the surf shops I shopped at. But anyways, uh, so this is um, this is something that I have to really grapple with myself. Um, you know, I think I would have been a lot more uncomfortable had I watched this documentary before May, because in May, uh, Brandon and myself, um, we decided to, uh, not go on a social media fast, but just to get off social media altogether. And just as an experiment to, to see how it affected us, um, for our, some of our loyal listeners, you might remember I had a, a little bit, which means a lot of a midlife crisis in May. Um, and yeah, you can't have a little midlife crisis, like crisis and little that's like, I was feeling really peaceful and I had a panic attack. Like those don't go hand in hand. So, um, if we had not gotten, at least I can speak for myself, if I hadn't gotten off social media and just, you know, taking this time off, it would have been harder for me. But even the fact that I haven't been on it, it's, it was hard for me to watch this documentary. So without further ado, just kind of let me set the stage for you. Um, Brandon, Google the guy's name real quick, the, the, the head guy in the documentary. Um, uh, that was doing most of the speaking guy from Google. Tristan Harris. Yeah. Tristan Harris. So this gentleman, Tristan Harris, um, he's, uh, some people have called him the closest thing to a conscience in Silicon Valley. And he used to work for Google and he was, um, you know, I think it was a Gmail, right? Like he was working with Gmail. Yeah. Um, what, what do they call him? They call him a curator, a designer. That's what it is. Former design aesthetic. He who was former, yeah. he did the aesthetic, the look and feel of it. Yeah, the look and the feel of it. And, you know, for whatever reason um, he had, and he talked about it in the, in, uh, in the documentary, he felt the need to, um, to really rally the troops and bring the sort of like a, a call to attention, call to arms about how bad the social media platforms have gotten out of control. And um, without getting all the details, because I don't want to do too many spoiler alerts for you guys here, um, this documentary is, is so well done. I mean, so what they did was it starts off very rough where he's like getting ready to do the interview. And then he has all these other people who had very high ranking positions for companies such as Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, Instagram. And so he has all these interviews going on. And in the beginning of the documentary, you could tell everybody that was getting ready to do their interview was nervous as could be like, it was painfully obvious that these people were very uncomfortable being on camera, getting ready to talk about getting ready to talk about some of these things that they'd experienced. And I really could see that you could tell that something morally inside of them, something about, their moral compass was pointing in this direction. And this guy, Tristan, was the one who just kind of put it all together. And you could see that they're very thankful for his courage and bravery to talk about this. Now, this was not a, we hate social media, we hate um, uh, Silicon Valley, and we want to tear them down. No, these people still work in social media. They still work in Silicon Valley, just on a different end of the spectrum, trying to make changes that they feel need to come, need to come about in order for our society to survive, basically. And um, so to, to kind of get into more detail about it, there is a couple of the things I liked that they did about the docu documentaries. One, it was very raw, a lot of uh, B-roll, a lot of like uncomfortable emotions from the people going to get interviewed. Then they had actors 
playing scenarios and roles throughout the documentary as the interviews were happening. So they focus on a family and, and very interesting enough, they had a, um, um, uh, a mixed family and it looked like there was like, you know, two people had been married before and then they got married again with, you know, with, you know, his, hers and mine kids, you know, and they also had um, a lot of things that were present right now. Like the documentary looked like it was made yesterday because they were talking about the pandemic because this was made during the pandemic. It had to have been. Like it just, or at least uh, maybe they finished that and added that in later, but they did some role scenes um, in the documentary that really illustrated the civil unrest that we're going through without taking uh, like a partisan side. Like they weren't like Democrat, Republican, they were in the center. And you'll know what I mean when you watch the di documentary. Very cleverly done and very well scripted, but it was overlaid with all these interviews happening simultaneously. And then they started interviewing, um, you know, Harvard, you know, business psychologists. Then they started interviewing um, Stanford um, addictive medicine professors. And it just really got deep into behind the curtain, these executives and these people who created this, these platforms, who've made money off these platforms, cannot even control themselves from these platforms. So um, I want to take a moment to just uh, have Brandon, you know, weigh in for a second. And Brandon, when uh, when you watched the documentary, like what were some of the things that really just made you feel uncomfortable <laughs> and also just jumped off the screen for you? Because you were raised with social media, not all of your life, but it, it came about while you're in high school. Yeah, I actually jumped on Facebook back in middle school. Okay, and... well, I, yeah, okay, even earlier. Yeah. So when they say in the documentary, um, one of the scientists comes out who's talking about the social media statistics and mental health. He says people born in 1996 were the first generation to have social media in middle school. And I was like, man, that sucks. Because at that point, they've built up talking about how the AI works and the point of the social media apps and how they went from it just being a platform that they thought was going to do a bunch of good in the world to the algorithm. It just, it made me feel really uncomfortable that some of the examples they use of how people think was a lot of the stresses and anxiety and the depressive feelings I had all throughout middle school and high school, I could connect to being influenced by social media. And I've always been, I got to figure myself out. I don't know who I am. Why do I feel so lost? And it's, as you watch it, you start, at least for me, it made me uncomfortable starting to connect dots. It's like, Oh, maybe these feelings and emotions that I've had about being sad or being anxious or feeling I'm not good enough were never mine to have in the first place. So it's kind of made me rethink. Or at, least, or at least not to that extreme. Yeah, to that extreme. So it's made it hard and just trying to think and figure out what's actually my feelings and what's been cultivated because of social media use that I thought was always good and intention had good intentions. Cause when I first got on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, everything was chronological and there wasn't any ads or algorithms yet at that point. So it's, it's weird just watching or replaying all the social media use I've gone through in my life and just seeing those different twists and turns. Yeah. You know, um, you know, mentioned uh, middle school, um, something that stood out to me, that it shouldn't have been shocking to me, but it kind of was, to be totally honest. So when I gave my TED Talk, one of the statistics, if you remember, Brandon, was I said from the years of 2008 to 2018. Yep. 
or yeah, it was 18 or 17. So, um, when, what that statistic was, was how drastically, um, kids had been reporting depressed thoughts and feelings and having a plan to actually have suicide went up in those years. I mean, 70 plus percent. Right. Oh yeah. And, and that was for older teen girls, but for younger teen girls, they had identified that it went up 151% and that was with suicide. And the numbers were very similar with self-harm and suicide. And they said that there was a correlation from 2008 is when the social media apps went on mobile devices. Yeah. And once people could have it with them all day, every day, they didn't have to go home and open up a computer and check Facebook. Even though the algorithms weren't there, the, the voyeurism of watching other people that, that you admired or wish you could be like that was happening in 2008 without a doubt. So to see them graph the connection between mental health disorders, um, for young people, specifically it focused on young girls, but it's also for boys as well. Um, in that time period and it correlate with the launching of social media apps on mobile devices it, it's, it, it can't be denied that there is a correlation there. Like you don't have to be a Harvard trained psychologist to see that. And, you know, I, I took a, um, I want to give a quote here from uh, Tristan in the video. Um, he said, and he had many great quotable, you know, moments, but this is one that I wanted to share with you guys here today. He said, we are training and conditioning, by the way, he's speaking of everyone born 1996 or later, you know, the Gen Z talking about this generation. He said, we are training and conditioning a new generation of people that when they are lonely, uncomfortable, uncertain, or afraid, they have a digital pacifier for themselves that is kind of, that is, that is atrophying, that is atrophying their own ability to deal with that. So what he meant by that, he was saying all these struggles that, you know, kids are going through, they now have a digital pacifier to just sue them just enough, but it doesn't give them what they need. It just like a pacifier does just makes the baby stop crying. In this case, just makes the teenager, just makes the child feel not alone, not uncertain, not as uncomfortable or afraid. The kids in my class, um, I don't know if it was, I came up with it or they came up with it. Um, they, they call it the, you know, we call it the curtain. It's like your phone and the social media, like you walk in a room, you're not feeling socially accepted or you're nervous, whatever. Boom, you just pull out your phone, start looking at it. I saw a funny bit by the comedian, uh, Kevin Hart. And I can't remember if it was a bit or an interview. He, I think it was a, an interview. He said he went to Jay-Z's party and he got there late. And, you know, he was just kind of blowing up as a celebrity. And he walks up and they go, sorry, you can't come in. He's like, wait, I'm invited to the party. He's like, sorry, it's closed. You're not in. He's like, but I'm Kevin Hart. They're like, no, and everybody looked at him in the restaurant. He just pulled out his phone and started looking and goes, oh, wait, what, huh? So, oh, yeah, man, I'm sorry. Okay, I got, you know, I got to go. I got to take off. I got this thing. And so he totally made up this make-believe scenario just by having his phone. And you see that with kids, but you see that with adults too. You know, it's not just the Gen Zers. And another part that caught my attention, I forget the gentleman's name, is towards the, uh, towards the middle, I should say. He was talking about um, social media and how there's a false narrative and actually it was Tristan and this gentleman who's talking about, there's a false narrative. And by the way, what I'm about to tell you, I kind of optimistically have been hoping myself. So I get it. So there's a false narrative um, 
that so many of us are under that we just figure that this is just going to all work itself out. Um, just like the printing press, when advertisement first came to news, people, you know, were getting duped into buying things they didn't need. Right. And then when TV came in commercials and they're being duped there, and then there was censorship and then they made it so you couldn't advertise to little kids and early morning TVs. And so there is this thought and feeling that we will adapt. We'll be fine. You know, this, this isn't, this isn't, you know, something that's going to change our society or it's going to, you know, be of great harm. Well, this engineer came on, he said, he goes, there's a flaw in that thinking. And he showed a graph to prove this. I, I didn't do any fact checking to know this, but you know, maybe some of you techie people out there could validate this, or maybe he was just using it more of a metaphor. Um, but he did show a graph at the same time. He said that um, their uh, compression technology and um, their ability to uh, processing, compression, but mostly processing, like data processing through computers and stuff, he said, since the inception of the computer, since it first started till now, which I think we're looking at what, 30 years now? And this is like 30 something years, 30, 40 years with like purchasable computers for the public. He said the processing power has gone up a trillion, over a trillion percent. He goes, if you look at that compared to other industries, look at the automobile industry. In the past 30, 40 years, has automobiles changed? A trillion percent? No. So it's the only industry that has changed that drastically in that short a period of time. So basically what he's saying is that in the past, we might be able to adapt and figure this out just by just letting it play out and see what happens. And what they're really, you know, trying to make a point of in this documentary is that there's nobody coming to save us. There's no one that's going to stop this. Like AI has been pointed directly back at us for purposes to make money. Um, there's some other quotes in here that I really want to share with you. Um, I'm hesitant to do it because they're such big, like, I, I remember when Brandon and I were talking about, he was like, dude, then they said this. And I was like, oh, like it was such a, that's why it makes you feel so uncomfortable because they're just pulling back that curtain a little bit and showing you behind the curtain how this is, even the people created the algorithms. I remember one of the, do you remember that one part, the one engineer said, he goes, he goes, I was so addicted to, I forget what app it was. He's like, I had to create software. I had to build software and was it build a, um, yeah, he had to for... write code. Yeah. He's like, I had to write code to help me undo my own addiction to the code I wrote in my own software. So basically saying he wrote like these software codes to make these more addictive, but then he had to write the software code for him to not be addicted to his smartphone and his apps. And I just, that's absurd. I mean, how many people out there can write code to help them unwire their addictions? And because, you know, they have a business psychologist talk about on there and also um, uh, an addiction specialist professor from Stanford talk about on there. And she says what we talk about here on the podcast a lot, which a lot of people know that because we're social creatures, because we have you know, all this years of evolution and us growing and growing to become more social, we are primed for addiction to social media. And it's, it's just inside of our DNA. And it's, it's planting a seed with these algorithms, with the way they're using monetization. I always have trouble with that word, even when I'm not feeling well. I mean, even when I am feeling well. Um, and how it has become something that we are now a third, like there's this sneaky third party off to the side dictating what we want 
And what all software companies want, and what well, I should say what all businesses want, is they want predictability. And an interesting thing came up this brand. I was wondering what you thought about this. Do you remember the part where the guy was talking about being able to, um, he said, uh, he goes, a lot of people think that uh, Facebook's out there selling our data, selling our data. And he goes, that's a mistake. So it's not in their best interest to sell our data. There, it's in their best interest to figure out our next move by the data, a.k.a. In certain businesses, people trade in the stock market trying to predict those industries and the outcomes. So there's oil futures, there's pork belly futures, meaning like trying to predict the future of the outcome. But they said in this social media, it's human futures. People are trying, these social media companies are trying to predict our next move. And if they can predict our next move, they can guarantee results for their advertisers and advertisers will pay more money as one professor put in there, said it's created that the social tech media companies right now are the richest companies in the history of the world. And this was Harvard business uh, psychology professor. So yeah, just swallow that pill for a second. Brandon? <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. And the other thing too, just because I have the perspective of being a user, being on Facebook, being there throughout all the algorithm changes and just noticing different features, the different updates, how different things have come out. But also so that guy's name's Jaron in the show. And he's talking about that. They're selling the ability to change our behaviors and change our actions. And just a slight bit, just, just a slight bit, just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. But then I thought about it. And as if you, when you watch the documentary, it talks about how the algorithm works to the best of the, ability that they know about it. And I've run ads on social media and I've always, I was always like, Oh, this is super cool. Anybody can get into this for a low amount of money, get thousands of impressions or just people seeing the ad. And it's extremely targeted. And I never really thought about it from the fact that, Oh, that's why there's so much money in it. Anybody can get involved. And that's essentially what you do with running a social media ad is you run it, you do A and B testing, which a guy named Shamoth talks about that they do to get people to grow on their platform. You do that inside of ads. So then it's not only the algorithms and not only the hey, real, people. Real, real quick, real, real quick, A and B testing. Like I oh, don't yeah. think most people know what that means. So. Yeah. So A and B testing is pretty much where you run the same ad, but you change different variables like demographics. So I'm going to run it. Like for, little tiny, like little yeah. slight A, B, like little tiny movements just to see how people react to it. Right. To see which one can will run better. So Facebook has it. You can test it for like three days. You see which one performs the best. And then you can put more money towards that one to get more effective conversion. So not only is it the algorithm of Facebook to keep you on the app, to be entertained, to like other photos, but then they're giving access to almost anybody who signs up for a business account to be able to manipulate that with ads to sell their product. And if you're a business owner, your goal is to make money. How do you make money? You have to predict the next move. Every yeah. Anyone's ever been in business like, okay, quarterly meetings. What are we going to, okay, what are our goals for next quarter? No one ever sets a goal to make less money the next quarter. No one. No. That's not how it works. And so in businesses, if you can predict the user's outcome, the person that you're trying to, you know, trying to sell your product or, you know, I, I don't want to give away too much on that, but because uh, I want you guys to watch it, obviously, but if you're trying to predict it and these social media companies can say, Hey, listen, 
We have algorithms that know people better than they know themselves because we're deeply planning little small changes in them so that we can change their behavior. If it's too obvious, then people know that you're trying to change their behavior. Just like when you see a bad ad late at night, you're like, that's a crappy product. That doesn't work. You know, it's a bad actor, bad ad. It's not going to work, right? But with these slight little changes, instead of just trying to guess what people want next, they said the next level to it is we're going to change them to push them in the direction that we want them to go. So there's no guessing at all. Yeah, it's so crazy. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, I, 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 and by the way, it's, it's PG 13. Um, I don't even know why it has a 13. Was there even a cuss word in there? There's no violence or anything. I mean, I, maybe, you know, it's probably because they talked about suicide and stuff like that, um, which is odd. I mean, they got, you know, 13 reasons why on netflix (laughs) sorry netflix but you know you you do got that on there so one that should be rated like a lot higher than pg-13 then um my point is uh this is something that as parents um i want to suggest you guys to sit down and watch with your kids watch it first and then when you watch with your kids take all the suggestions from from your good old buddy dave here and don't Try to have a little, you know, sit down teaching session with your kids. Don't interrogate them. So what did you think about the movie? Let's talk about like, don't you think, don't do those loading questions. Like, don't you think it was really weird how this happened? You know, why they did this? Why do you think this happens? Don't start off a conversation like that. Watch the, watch the documentary, sit down and watch with your kids. Now, I'll leave it up to you to figure out which age appropriate is for your kids because it says PG 13, but if you got a kid who's 11 years old, who's already addicted to social media because, Hey, life's rough. And, uh, those phones and iPads, everything can keep your kids entertained. And over the quarantine, you're trying not to lose your mind. I'm raising my hand because I, I fell victim to that myself. Um, then, you know, maybe for you that PG 13 is, is not going to be good enough for you. You got to let your 11 year old watch it. And that's it for you to decide, not for me to decide, you know, your kids better than I do. But what I want you to do is I want you to watch it with your kids that you feel it's age appropriate for. And then after you watch it with them, I want you to have kind of like share like some thoughts and feelings, like what were some of the highs and lows about that? And what were some things that you're unsure about? I don't want you to go hard in the paint and be like, oh my gosh, see, you know, now we're going to take away your social media because that's what your kids are going to expect to expect for you to say. In fact, I would like you to say, if your kids are on social media, you want to watch this with them, say, listen. I need to watch this with you guys. I want to watch this with you guys. I promise you after watching this, I'm not going to freak out and take away your cell phones, do stuff like that, because I think you're smarter than that. I think after you watching this video, I think you're going to come up with ideas and you're going to have some thoughts and, and just feelings about it that we can just have a conversation. All you're hoping to have is just a conversation and get your kids to talk and think about this. I call it informed consent, something that I'm hoping someday when I say hope, I'm winking because I actually have a plan because I don't think hope's a good strategy. <laughs> and Brandon knows what my plan is, just not a plan that's going to take me overnight to execute. Um, but my hope is that these social media companies will start having levels of informed consent for our kids. And when I say informed consent, here's what I mean. Um, if you want to buy a box of Twinkies and you're feeling really down and depressed because you just went through a breakup and you want to eat the whole entire box in one sitting. Obviously, you're American. You can free to make your own choice. But as you open up that package, your eyes may glance over this little thing on the back of it called 
nutritional content. And you just may look at one of those Twinkies and go, it has how many calories? Has how many of this? And if I eat the whole thing, uh, okay, maybe I'll just better eat two instead of like the whole, instead of crush the whole entire box. What I mean by that is that I do feel that there should be very serious laws and regulations for young people with social media and what those are. I have no idea, no clue, because that's not my specialty. I'd love to be in that conversation and add my two cents into it, but that's a big topic. But what I do think would be the easiest thing in the, in the meantime, till we can come to some understanding that is giving the kids information and giving us information. So imagine you opening up Instagram and right when you go to open up, I know this is going to bother some people because it's going to take probably a whole three seconds and you know how, how people are, if it takes their phone longer, but you can't skip it. Just like those ads where you can't skip whatever words come up on the screen and says, Hey, thank you for enjoying. Uh, hope you enjoy your experience here on the site. We just want to remind you that studies have shown or there are potential instead of saying studies have shown legally they may just want to say something a little more vague i would like them to be more direct but they may just want to say something or have them say something like so one know that it's been shown that in this age group looking at you know this much screen time this much time on your phone this much time on the social media app has been prone to cause depression anxiety and you know what have you um, and then after that say please use responsibly if you're feeling that you're having any of these signs and to give some of the symptoms of, you know, stress, anxiety, and stuff like that from your social media or stuff like that, here's some resources, references, click the links below, click the links, blah, blah, blah. We can, you know, talk to someone, get you some help, suicide hotline, bam, 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 bam. That should be the gatekeeper before you're allowed in the community. I don't think that's crazy. What about you, Brandon? No, I think that's reasonable because just, just thinking about it, they talk about in the documentary, Tristan says that there's laws and regulations in place for television on how you can and cannot market to kids. That's not in social media and tech's grown so quickly that if we can get in front of it and people can have an informed consent, that's great because you got a lot of old school people who make the laws and they don't know technology the same way that Silicon Valley does. So I think it's huge and would be a huge benefit just to even at least notify people of it. You know, and, and that's one specific thing of, of my, well, uh, of the plan that, that I've been working on for quite some time. Um, I'm not quite at that level yet where I have the voice and the influence to, to, to make that impact yet. Um, but, you know, I'm working on it one step at a time. And I know, you know, you listeners here in the podcast, just listening to podcasts, you guys are all part of this as well. And so thank you for taking the time to, to listen to us every single week for the past, gosh, two and a half years now, right, Brandon? Yeah. And, um, and this specific subject is very crucial for us right now. We all know what the pandemic has, has done to everyone collectively as a society, but we also know that individually it's created a lot of challenges and it's created a lot of bad habits and people already had bad habits. It just made those bad habits worse. And when I say people, I, I, I shouldn't be so general. I'm not saying that everybody has an issue on this. You may be thinking, well, I don't have an issue on social media. Okay, well, pat yourself on the back. You're a unicorn, okay? You, you, you're, you're a special person. And I don't mean that in, in a way like making fun of you. I'm just saying like, if you're out there listening to this saying, well, this doesn't apply to me, that's fine. But you're in the smaller percentage. Most people are online. Most people are connected to some sort of, some sort of social media app. You know, I was talking to Brandon the other day. I'm like, man, I'm so glad to be off social media. But then I realized I'm looking at my screen time. I'm like, 
I'm on YouTube. Like I took all that time and I just, now I'm just watching endless videos. And by the way, they give some really interesting hacks at the end of the video. So that was the last thing I want to share with you. Watch it all the way through. And at the end of the video, when they start rolling the credits and stuff, they do other interviews and people just start giving a couple suggestions and ideas how to not be as programmed by your social media. Um, and, you know, I really want to have another conversation with this, um, with Heidi when, uh, when, when, she, when she gets back. Um, she, uh, did she post on her social media? Yeah. So I guess it's, it's you know, not you know, private information, but Heidi had, uh, had to go in for a hospital procedure or surgery. Um, and so uh, that's why she's not with us today. I failed to mention that earlier. But I'd like to have another conversation with her about it because, you know, she's got younger teenagers, too. She, she's right in the middle of this. And also us as adults, you know, Heidi's been very open about this is a constant struggle with her because her work and her job and her profession requires the use of social media, like many people's professions out there. Many people, they're a part of this wheel. And it's like, how do you get off a wheel that you're just one spoke on? You know I mean, like, how, I mean, how do you stop a wheel that you're just a spoke on? You're turning with it. Like for so many people out there, I, I feel very fortunate that my livelihood isn't connected to social media. I could have made it connected to social media. And many times I've, I've done little things here to put information out there, but it was just, I, I guess I just didn't want to be completely programmed because I know that I have that ca capacity. I'm not saying I'm above anyone out there that, that is in the system because I know I'm not. And, and that's part of the reason why I got off of it on May because I was feeling the overwhelming stress because I'm helping people with these addictions. And if I have the same addiction that I'm helping someone else with their addiction, how good help can I really be? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, being on social media platforms gave me a, a large understanding and helps me stay connected to the youth that I work with. But man, it's like, if I'm burning the candle at both ends, it's going to be really hard for me to help someone else stop burning their candle at both ends. So oh, yeah. and, um, I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I really want to hear what you guys think about this. Um, and Brandon, we're going to um, uh, tell you right now, let's post something on our social media to tell people to watch yeah. about the social dilemma. Absolutely. Uh, I am all about fighting fire with fire. And, you know, I think it's up to everyone. It's not up to me to tell you if you're on social media too much. It's not for me to tell you how much your kids should or shouldn't be on. But I really want you guys to inform yourself. Um, and I think watching this documentary will give you information, thought-provoking uh, conversations with your kids. Just remember when you talk to your kids about this, really make it a conversation, try and use the, the highs and lows. So let's talk about what were the good things and bad things about this video. And, you know, as a parent, I suggest you go first. And I suggest if there's anything that you can confess and your struggles with this, um, I suggest you s state your struggles, but don't make this one crucial, very simple error that so many parents make. And I'll give you an example. You watch the documentary, you get down to the documentary and you say, Okay, I'm going to listen to what David said. I'm going to go first. I'm going to tell my kids that I can relate to what the video is saying. And you say something like this. You know, I just, after watching this video, I realized that, you know, like, um, you know, I, I, I really, you know, I have, you know, had some issues in the past with social media. And, and you know, because I've been working on it, I'm, I'm so glad I started working on it. But before I got on social media or before I watched this documentary, because even though I had a problem in the past, you know, it's, you know, I, I just decided not to be on it anymore. And I decided to just get that on my life. So it's not a problem and, you know, I'm, I'm better off for it. You could tell inside of that, it was like, you almost said something 
that was inspiring and meaningful and vulnerable and real, but you're protecting it with, I still, I need to share something personal with my kids, but I still need to let them know I'm better now and I don't have those problems and I'm okay. Because I'll tell you what's probably going to happen at that moment. Your kid will chime in. Someone will give you an eye roll like, yeah, right. You haven't had those issues. Or yeah, right. You got over it. And by the way, if you notice, I gave the example of what I just said a little while ago that I did. I actually said that. I, I said that this is something that I stopped doing in May, but because now I'm watching it, it would have been harder for me to watch it if I didn't stop my social media. I did the exact same thing. But the, the reason why I didn't have to change it and the reason why I could say it like that, and it works for me to say it with you guys right now, because you're not my kids and you want to listen to me. That's the difference between some of you if you try to have this conversation with your kids. Like you're listening to my pot, your, this podcast because you like it, right? If you bring up social media with your kids, you think they're some of them, the ones that have the really bad problems are going to want to be listening and like it. So what I just gave you an example of what I did, I don't want you to do that. When I talk about uh, not asking, like, you know, asking questions and stuff like that and how asking questions or starting out with asking questions is bad, I'm always referring to people that you're having a difficulty communicating with someone that is very sensitive or someone that you've um, gotten fights and arguments recently that you're not necessarily on good terms with. I'm not talking about your best friend. Like if it's your best friend, you can say, and you know, I would say, don't say like, Hey, what's wrong? Say, Hey, if you'd like to tell me what's wrong, I'd love to hear about it. If it's your best friend, you'd be like, dude, you better tell me what's wrong right now. Or you could say, what's wrong? Come on, what's wrong? Come on, come on. Like you can badger and you can go after someone you have a really close relationship with because they know you have good intention. So Make sure, don't do what I did on the podcast. Do what I tell you guys to do when you're talking to kids, which is just make some statements about how social media affected or how the video affected you. If you do have your own issues with social media, try to be general, like try to be vulnerable and specific, but don't take it back with saying like, hey, you know, I need to work on this, but I'm not really that bad. Like I am getting better. No, just say, I need to work on this. Mic drop it and let it be. Like, don't, don't try to cover it up because you're fearful that you're going to be a bad example to them. Trust me, if you've raised kids that are over six days old, you've already been a bad example to them. Okay. Every parent out there, we all make mistakes. We're always bad examples on certain areas, even though we have strengths on some areas, we may be bad examples on others, but it's up to us as parents to step up our game, to level up, to make sure that we're taking in new information for new times. This information is fresh today. This is the freshest, most realistic to date documentary I think I've ever seen. How about you, Brandon? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's especially with social media and with the younger generations, if it's not modern information, if it's not update information, it's going to be discredited so quickly. Yep. It's out. I mean, it's, I mean, think about it. Snapchat, do they hold old information? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Point is like, it's, it's all about, it's all about, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Yep. So it's gotta be fresh. It's gotta be new to catch their attention. But like I said, really want you guys to go out there and watch it. If you feel the need to share it with someone, please do. If you feel the need to watch it with your kids and you feel that it's appropriate for your kids' psychological, mental, emotional, developmental stage, or if you, you know, you got some kids who are on social media yet, but you want to share this with them to give them a little heads up and insight. Um, if there's certain parts that you don't want them to see, timestamp those parts, meaning look at the time that's at and just kind of skip past it to some other parts. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to do that, but I really want you guys to watch it. Really want you to share it with your kids. I want you to have a conversation with your kids. But of course, when you have a conversation, 
lead with statements, tell them how it's affecting you. You go first, but don't interrogate them. Don't try to persuade them. Don't make it a, like, don't be like a double agent where you're trying to give them good information, but then you're trying to also manipulate them to do what you want them to do at the same time. Just take one step at a time, let the conversation have some space to breathe. And I would love to hear about how those conversations go with you guys. So if you want to, um, you know, email us, you can still direct message us, but if you guys are listeners known that, um, have noticed that, you know, uh, we haven't been responding too much and we haven't been that active on social media. This is really our confessions that we just, we've had to take ourselves off of it. Um, the numbers, you know, on our podcast, if they go down because that, I, that's unfortunate, but for our own mental and emotional sanity, we had to do something because working with these kids all day long, helping them with these issues. And Brandon, you know, he helps out a lot in my nonprofit, He's a ton, a lot with kids. So he's on the front lines working as a mentor with some of these kids. And so he knows too, it's like, man, it's really hard to be helping someone else out with an issue that you have. So, <laughs> Amen to that. Well, it's better to help. It's easier to help someone out with an issue you used to have. <laughs> True. That way you have this thing called hindsight. And apparently <laughs> that can be 2020 as the same goes. So enough bad jerks for me today, you guys. Um, Heidi, we miss you. Um, hope you're recovering, feeling better. And for all my clients out there, people that um, have been waiting for me to call them back for the past two weeks and been worrying about my health. Um, I'm. This is the longest I've talked. Wow. How long do we talk, Brandon? So about far? 40 minutes. Okay. Hopefully I don't crash after this. Anyways, uh, I'm going to be all right, though. I'm going to be fine. And uh, you guys, um, as Heidi would always say, and she's saying right now in her heart, Thank you for helping us to light the fight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.